Engaging Leader, Episode 203, Four Ways to Keep Work Fulfilling for Remote Workers. Brought to you by the team at Workforce Communication. Find out more at WorkforceCommunication.com. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action. Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Working remotely, such as from home, is often a great relationship. It allows companies to access top talent without worrying about geography, and it allows greater flexibility for workers to do great work on their own terms. And yet over time, dissatisfaction, disconnection, and burnout tend to creep in. What steps can remote workers and their leaders take to keep work fulfilling and productive for the whole team? Well, I'm super stoked to have author and former Twitter VP Bruce Daisley back on the show today. If you caught episode 201, when Bruce joined us to share four of the hacks from his book, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, 30 Hacks for Bringing Joy to Your Job, you'll know he is very, very fun, very funny, and yet he has very simple, practical strategies for improving work on an everyday basis. These are little hacks that everyday people and leaders can put into place. You don't have to reinvent an entire company to make these work. And so we're going to look at some additional of these research-backed, user-friendly strategies for bringing joy to the workplace. But this time, we're going to focus on some of the strategies that are particularly helpful when some or all of your workforce is remote. Bruce Daisley, welcome back to Engaging Leader. Good to be back again. Thank you very much. Who'd have thought it would happen so quickly again? <laughs> right. Well, it was such a good time. Couldn't wait to have you come back. Now, Bruce, you spent uh, several years at uh, YouTube with Google and, of course, at Twitter. What were some of the specific challenges that you saw at those locations uh, where you were able to overcome and, and help bring joy to work? Yeah, I think probably the number one thing that almost all of us are thinking about right now is this challenge of remote working, right? That, you know, we, we, we all sort of occupy this conflicted space where we know that the more that people can work remotely, it seems to be this energizing, liberating factor. Maybe it allows us to hire people who otherwise we wouldn't be able to, to attract or it enables people to, to live out the complexities of their home life without work feeling like it can displace it. But the challenge is quite often that you've got that freedom that remote working is enabling. It's one of, the, one of the dividends of the internet. But then there seem to be a few downsides. I'll give you one example. World Health Organization did some work into people who work remotely. Now, the promise of working remotely, surely, is that we should all feel less stressed. We should all feel able to do our best work. In fact, the World Health Organization said that stress levels of people who work remotely are 70% higher than those who work uh, wow. co op would not, have, would not have guessed that. No, exactly. Right. So let's go and have a look. Why are they stressed? Number one reason they feel stressed is they say they feel that their boss doesn't think they are working very hard. Right. Number two, they say that they fear their colleagues don't like them. Right. So immediately, here's what happens. When we're surrounded with people in person all day, even though you and I might not have a meeting, Jesse, we nod to each other. We, we nod assent. We might even sort of casually say, how was the weekend? Or how did you get on at that thing? And it's just these moments of quiet connectivity. And the strange thing is that 
just eliminating those things. Humans are so social. We're so fixated with just checking that we're okay with the people around us that the absence of those things is sadly filled by uh, sort of anxiety, concern. And so because I don't hear from you, because you don't see me, you don't ask me how the weekend was. And so immediately the, the evil thoughts that sometimes <laughs> occupy our empty mind, I start thinking, you know, he, he hopes my weekend went badly. Of course he did. <laughs> but that's, sometimes uh, dark thoughts occupy our minds. In fact, there's some evidence that when we're, we're not thinking of things, generally it's darker thoughts that slip in and they're the ones we, we remember. So look, here's, so, so there's the challenge. What have we got? Number one, we, we've got something in remote working that we know if we do it well, it can make work better, more inclusive, more productive for all of us. And yet we know that when people are on their own and when people maybe aren't surrounded with colleagues, that they, they, sometimes their experience of work is more stressful. So I think this is one of the big, whether it's at Google, at YouTube, at Twitter, or you know, in any company, this is one of the big questions that I think some employers are going to learn to tackle and others are going to find that their workers really suffer from. I've observed, in fact, go on, go on. Well, I, this is true even with introverted people. I, I was just at a, an event no last doubt. night talking with a, a remote worker for a, a software company and she's quite introverted. And, and she said, I never would have guessed that I would be someone who was starving for human interaction. But, you know, fast forward six months of working remotely and here I am. You know, this, here's, this, um, there was a wonderful book out a couple of years ago, Jesse, called uh, Lost Connections. And ostensibly, this, um, you, you can be- get most of it. The, the author, Johan Hari, did a really wonderful TED talk. But there was one fact in there which um, is such a vivid, vivid image that it, it becomes really disturbing. So Johan Hari said that people who live alone and sleep alone, they have these micro wakings every night because atavistically, to return to when we were in a cave, when we were on our own, if you were sleeping alone all night, you needed to sort of wake up these micro wake-ups just to check you were safe. And here's the strange thing. When we are on our own, someone who lives on their own will not get as good sleep as someone who lives with other people. I don't make the rules. I think it's brutally unfair. <laughs> But it's sort of an interesting phenomenon. Why? Because humans innately, one of the things that propelled this uh, extraordinary trajectory of, of innovation and development that we've seen in the, in the last 2,000 years has been largely the uh, ability to connect, uh, to be social around other humans. Um, and so it, it seems that even introverts seem to get some of our energy from being close to the tribe and being surrounded with other people. And I think, you know, this is really critical. Introverts, sometimes we, we, I'm an introvert, and sometimes we just want people to leave us alone. We're in an open plan office. We just want someone to stop interrupting us. <laughs> However, the balance seems to be really critical that we need to make sure that we, we do get some of our energy, but it, without it being dominant. So what are some of the hacks that are particularly helpful yeah. for remote worker situations? Well, let's go through some of those things because they can be really instructive. Sometimes the, the modern uh, existence for all of us uh, can be fixated with productivity hacks. You know, that we, we read Marky Mark's daily agenda and he's getting up at 3 a.m. to do his first workout <laughs> of the day and he's doing emails by five. And we can't help but think how depressingly indolent we are for, for not doing those things. And so we immediately resolve 
we're now going to wake up with a bulletproof coffee and we're going to do these. <laughs> and we, we become fixated on productivity. But what, we do, what we're, we're losing along the way is we're losing some of these moments of connection. So let's imagine if we're all co-located in the same office, then one thing would, that would happen before the PowerPoint was fired up or before <laughs> the, the conversation started is that there would be a bit of discussion about, did you watch the game last night? Did you do this? Did you do this? Moments of little bits of connection. So if you're all working remotely, I would say don't go out of your way to kick off the meeting too soon. You know, if there's a bit of chatter in the room, if there's a bit of laughter and the, on the Zoom hangout of people in different offices saying to each other, how was your day? How was your weekend? Don't make the mistake of thinking this is the bad stuff. To some extent, this is the good stuff. Hmm. But then in addition, the, the, if you do have a team that's distributed from uh, across the 50 states and you maybe get together once a year, twice a year, then at your peril, open laptops and computers too soon because those moments of personal connectivity are far more powerful than, than we give them credit. In the evidence that I was able to explore and, and the research that I saw, that teams that are completely remote, if they are more intentional about using the time when they get together to feel like they're part of something collective, they seem to do better. It's almost like if you get together once every six months and in person you do some exercises where there's a bit of laughter in the room, where there's a bit of team cohesion in the room, where maybe, you know, maybe it's just a, uh, a treasure hunt, a, a scavenger hunt, and you're, you're looking to do something collectively. What you discover is that those things that you might probably the, the most critical version of you might say, what good is this serving? In fact, when it comes to the team feeling part of something bigger than themselves, they appear to have a, a disproportionate benefit. What about in a situation where you have a part of the team that's face to face, co-located, and then you've got a few remote workers, that issue where there's some us versus them, I guess. Is there anything that you can do to counteract that? Yeah, I mean, more than anything else, certainly there seems to be some evidence that, um, that, that trying to be a little bit analog with our communication at times helps. There was some wonderful research that I saw that looked into, um, you know, a phenomenon of modern existence, but I guess historically, historical existence too. Couples who, who are sustaining a relationship living in different cities. And this took about 70,000 couples who were living in different cities. And they want, the researchers wanted to know, so they started the clock at the start of the year, which ones will survive 12 months? And they, so, so it was going to give them the secret formula. Why would some relationships survive? The relationships that survived 12 months were the people who phoned each other, phoned each other every day, and to, they set about talking about trivial things. So it might be, the, you know, uh, you've taken the cat to the vet. It might be that I've done the recycling. It might be that... You know, I've got a guy to come and look at the TV antenna, whatever it is, talking about trivial things. I suspect because merely that that form of, of connection, that that empathetic uh, bond that's created when we talk about trivial things seems to be far more powerful than we give credit. So let's transplant that to our workplaces. Well, if you've got a colleague who's working in the other office and maybe there's three of them in that office and the rest of you in head office, then the more you can try to disproportionately reach out in a human way, it seems to have 
this bonding effect. It seems to be like laying a Band-Aid over a potential uh, mishap, a, a, something that might go wrong. One of the things I think that is challenging for me personally in those sort of analog situations is phone calls is um, wrap, is the ability to wrap it up quicker. Uh, like when I just want to have a, uh, as I've been learning the importance of making those human connections, it doesn't have to be an hour long phone call, right? If I had to give an hour long phone call to all of my remote people reporting to me every every uh, day or every week, that would add up. But it's okay to do a five minute call and just learning yeah. the, the sort of like, it's been five minutes. Well, hey, I'm really glad we were able to connect and it's okay to, you do that in the office. If you ran into someone yeah. on your way to the coffee pot, you wouldn't stand there for an hour talking to them. You would. And is it, yeah. And, and what you're saying is exactly right. Have you ever noticed that thing as well, Jesse, where sometimes when we just communicate in text, we start perceiving, um, we start perceiving motivations and, and intent that just isn't there. And then the moment you pick up the phone to someone and you hear their voice and you hear them expressing their thoughts just in a verbal way, you immediately have you, you, you have that dispelled. You're like, okay, he's not trying to ruin me. He's not trying to destroy me, which is what I was imagining when I was reading that text. He just disagrees with the approach we take. And that human connection, it's, it's, it's so powerful at healing some of the things that mistakenly, we might find ourselves uh, walking into exactly right. A five-minute call doesn't have to be a 30-minute scheduled meeting. A five-minute call can have this, this magically healing effect. And so that's what I'd say. If you've got a remote team, just getting into the habit. One of the things I've noticed is that um, some teams, when I was leaving Twitter, we were setting about trying to half the amount of time we had on the calendar. However, one of the challenges that we have is that how will I know if I need to speak to Jesse next Thursday that he will be free at Thursday at three o'clock? And so what we do, we turn it into a time on the calendar. And what, yeah. what some people are doing is they're saying, OK, so our team collectively, we keep two o'clock till three o'clock every Thursday free, but there's no meeting. And we call it our magic time. And in that time, if any of us need to connect, it might be a five minute call. We don't, no one's allowed to schedule something over that. But if you and I need a five minute huddle, just we're talking about the marketing plan for next year, or you and you and someone else need a quick chat, we all know that that's a little Bermuda Triangle, a little space on the calendar that we haven't allowed anything to live in. And I think, you know, that seems what we're trying to do, you know, it's the reason why the book, I guess, is, is hacks, is that what we're trying to do is we're trying to find a way to not reinvent work. I don't think anyone's going to unveil the new version of work anytime soon. But what are the little things we can do to make work feel less overwhelming, less dreadful, less, less like it, it becomes this dominant thing in our lives? I love that idea, the magic time, just once a week, mm. an hour where you don't schedule things. Now, if you had a, if you had a time, if you had, let's say, a completely or uh, mostly remote work team, would you also think about taking that hour and like having a, a group Zoom call, like a, just a drop in, anybody wants to drop by? Chatter yeah, I mean, hour, you know. Yeah, I think you know one of the things that seems to bond teams more than anything else. I was really taken um, with the science of laughter, and in fact, I spoke to the world's leading laughter expert, and he said to me an interesting thing because he said, "What do you think? What purpose do you think laughter fulfills?" I was like, "Okay, that's that's an interesting question. Why are you asking that?" He said, "Well, you know, 
through evolution, laughter fulfills something. So why have we evolved to do laughter? And he said, laughter is very much like a human version of birdsong. He <laughs> said that laughter forges connections between us. And he said, here's the evidence of this. He went into workplaces and he observed when people laugh. And he said, it's never funny. It's like the situations when people are in work, generally the boss will say something and the team will laugh. Or, you know, someone will say something the team will laugh. And he said, okay, there are moments where it's genuinely funny. But normally in work scenarios, we do it to, to forge connectedness. We do it to sort of say we're together. And so, you know, he will give examples which are, we'll be in a meeting and someone will say, well, Jesse's turn next and everyone laughs. It's in itself, it's not funny, but what we're doing is we're demonstrating we're connected together. And so if you've got a team that are completely remote, just making sure that that team feels like there's some levity in their interactions. So it might be that, you know, you make a tradition that when it's someone's work anniversary, you know, that someone does a slideshow of three photos of them. Or, you know, it might be that when someone has completed something uh, wonderful, that you make sure that, you know, someone tells a funny story about what went wrong along the way. And trying to bring the, the professor I spoke to, Dr. Uh, professor Robert Provine, he said, make space for laughter. And that doesn't mean that you need uh, a Michael Scott trying to, to crack <laughs> jokes all the time, but it's more, you know, if you can be intentional about celebrating that, it might be when someone leaves, you do them heroic departure speeches or, you know, roast them or whatever it is. Try to bring laughter into the, the way you, your team engages with each other. Because based on his evidence, it's in service of us making us feel more connected with each other. I love that. Yeah. Making space for laughter. Yes. Well, the book, again, is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, 30 Hacks for Bringing Joy to Your Job. Bruce, tell us how folks can find out more about you and your work and get a hold of your book. Well, if you search for eatsleepworkrepeat.com, there's, uh, there's a website there and you can, you can go along and you can take a look at that. So um, all of my stuff's there. So 100 episodes of my podcast linked to my book. And there's a whole load of, of other stuff that I've done there. I'm also on Twitter and, you know, if you're feeling adventurous, you can you can add me to your professional network on LinkedIn. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Bruce Daisley, it's been so much fun to have you again on the Engaging Leader Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Let's do it again. All right, Engagers, we talked about four ways to keep work fulfilling for remote workers. Those included, number one, don't shorten the small talk, which I tend to do that when I have remote meetings. <laughs> number two was when you are at meetings, face-to-face uh, -face meetings, and make really good use of the time. Be intentional. Don't open up laptops. Don't encourage other people to be on their smartphones and so forth. Number three was set a magic hour or magic time once a week for just for an hour so that people know that you are available for quick calls and discussions as opposed to scheduling all those one-on-ones, standing one-on-ones that we do tend to fill up our calendars with. And then number four was give space for laughter in your team meetings and virtual meetings. All right, so you can find many more of the hacks that Bruce has to share in his book. This, of course, was just the tip of the iceberg. So I encourage you to get a hold of his book. We will put all the links and information that Bruce talked about in our show notes for this episode. Uh, you can get find his book, find his podcast, his Twitter, his LinkedIn. All that is on our website at engagingleader.com. 
This is a production of Workforce Communication. We're a team of consultants and creatives using the power of communication to help organizations enhance the well-being and performance of their people. My colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, fully engage employees, and achieve superior business results in several areas, including employer branding, talent management, wellness, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at workforcecommunication.com. Our thanks to Cecily Leahy, our producer, Jamie Barnes, Tom Hitchcock, and Jenny Kalinda from our social media team, JJ Leahy from our video and graphic design team, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Betsy Leahy, our sound and video editor. Until next time, remember, the people changing the world today aren't just leaders, they're engagers.